Beaux-Arts Photography Podcast with Alan and Natalie Brio. So today is our fifth podcast on living and photographing on Navajo land. And today we're going to talk about hiking and photographing on Navajo land. Because I think unlike other places, it's a little bit different. And for one thing, hiking on Navajo land when you work there as a white person or an Anglo person, is something that you do during the weekends because there isn't a whole lot to do, right? Besides uh, going out in the wilderness and exploring. Well, that's true. You either love the outdoors, and that's one of the reasons why you're living there, or you leave town every weekend, which can be very expensive. And where do you go, right? <laughs> Flagstaff. Yeah, or Gallup, or Farmington. Farmington, one Albuquerque. Yeah, one of those, quote-unquote, exciting towns that border the reservation. Right. But it's all hundreds of miles away. I mean, the closest town is 100 miles one way, that's Gallup or Farmington. Flystaff is more like 300. Three hours. Yeah. Three hours away. So 200 miles away. Albuquerque is also three and a half hours, I think, which means you've got to spend the night. Oh, yeah, definitely. And what are you going to do? You're going to shop, right? And uh, since people that live on the rest don't make much money, the expense of the trip plus the shopping plus the stay at the hotel makes it quite impractical. And plus, it's not really what we were there to do. No. We did not go to Cairndoche to drive to Gallup or Farmington during the weekends. We went there to experience Navajo land. So what we did... Is we... Uh, well, we actually met people that worked at the hospital. And the people that worked at the hospital liked to schedule like hikes on the weekends. So I think that's what really got us started on hiking certain areas of the reservation. We would meet with them like on a Saturday morning. Everybody would bring like a picnic lunch and we would just, you know, go hike for a while. And we did that quite a bit with the hospital staff in the very beginning. Yeah, the hospital people, the doctors and the nurses hiked. They were outdoors people. Right. But the teachers uh, stood in front of the TV and ate Doritos. They were sort of uh, indoors people. <laughs> I know it sounds a little rough, but it's true. Yeah. The they were not as physically active, if at all, as the hospital people. No, they weren't. Yeah. And we used to talk about that, how the people that worked at the hospital were physically fit, more fit than the teachers. They were in shape. Huh? Yeah. They were not overweight. They were outdoors. Uh, you know, and they I think, were physically fit. Uh, I think that's also where we may, may have met our friend, who is also a photographer, J.R. Lancaster. Because his wife worked as a nurse at the hospital. Right. And they divorced later on. But at the time, she was working at the hospital. And he was already living in Bluff, I think. But he lived in Shinle for a number of years and then moved to Bluff. And he was also photographing the reservation. I think he did a lot of portraits. He liked to photograph people, yeah. the old ones, yeah. Yeah. And eventually moved to Bluff, opened a gallery there, and still has a gallery in Bluff. And as a matter of fact, he's featured in my new book on the marketing photographs called uh, Stories About How Photographs Are Sold. Right. The book shows JR's gallery, his marketing pieces, and a little bit of his story, you know, which is very interesting because he's been in the Southwest for something like 30 years now. Right. He's originally from New Orleans, but he's been uh, living in Chinle and in Bluff afterwards for something like 30 years. Yes. Yeah. A true artist. Oh, yes. <laughs> to the core. Can't stop producing art. And I think that's, you know, once we met JR, that's kind of something that we had in common. Mm -hmm. Because when we would go see him in his gallery in Bluff, sometimes that's what we did from yeah. Chinle. We hide. would go yeah. 
we would hike around and we would photograph and but when we were going through Bluff, we would always stop at JR's gallery and talk to JR. And we would discuss about what we were photographing and what he was photographing. And Unless he wasn't there because there was clouds. Right? Yes, out for clouds, it he would had, say. <laughs> he had a sign that said, out for clouds. Yes. Yeah, and he had a business card that said, uh, philosophy, photography, and rock world building. Yes. That is, if photography doesn't work, then we do philosophy. And if philosophy doesn't work, then we build walls for people. And I guess everybody needs a good wall, right? When you yes. leave uh, out there in the middle of nowhere. So I think that's um, what started us on the reservation was like hiking to three turkey rune. With hiking to little known places. Right. Places that some people that don't live in Chinle or are not familiar with the area have never heard of. But also yeah. what we found out is when we did these hikes is that at one time, they were little tribal parks. They had picnic tables. Right. There were walls built. At one time, there were railings. Overlooks. And overlooks, yeah, and the roads and everything. Mm. Just every, It's like everything was abandoned. And people used to go to these places years and years ago. And so we were like rediscovering this again. And so we hiked with some people to like Three Turkey Rune. And then after that, you and I just continued to hike further and further down the canyon and where we stopped one weekend that's where we would start the following weekend and we would hike another maybe a third of the canyon or whatnot and yeah well Fritoki canyon is very long it's like 20 miles long and uh, we could not hike the whole thing at once and camping on the reservation while hiking is not very it's not a very good idea. Plus, we were no. close enough to home anyway. Right. We were close enough to home. But, you know, it's not really a good idea to go on backpacking trips on a reservation. No. Without a guide. Um, and we did not have a guide when we did that. And so what we did is we hiked uh, that particular canyon a li- little bit at a time. Yes. We'd do maybe four or five miles one time, go home, and then start where we stopped the next time. Try to find an, an entry point. Right. Try to find some roads leading us to an entry point close to where we stopped and then start and do uh, another four or five miles. And I remember a couple of times where we were trying to find these dirt roads where to access, you know, the canyon, and we would end up on somebody's property in the middle of nowhere, you know. And I remember Navajo men coming to the truck and saying, you know, well, what are you looking for? Or like, oh. Are you lost? Yeah, (laughs) are you lost? And we we were like, no, we're just trying to find access, you know, to get to the canyon. And they would even tell us, oh, we'll just, you know, go back out this way and drive down the road Mm. here. And, you know. And some of these canyons are very long. You know, Little White House Canyon, for yes. example, which is another very little known canyon near Chinle, which is not a tributary of Canyon de Shea. Neither Free Turkey Canyon or Little White House Canyon is a, is a tributary. Very, very long. Actually, Little White House, we never got to the start of it. No. We started at the mouth, but we never hiked all the way to the top of it. No, we didn't. No. We went a long ways, but eventually we never quite went all the way to the top of it. But that's where we started to find some rock art, like the planetarium, where we found an alcove, found a cave that we walked into, and we could see, like, the stars painted on the ceiling Mm. in blue and white and gray, and we called it the planetarium. It's something specific to the Chinle area, to the Canyon de Chez area, these planetariums. They are basically caves with the ceiling painted with stars on it, Mm -hmm. and they are four stars you know four branches stars usually uh, with the interior being white the outside being blue or black outlines and 
you know, it's unclear if they represent actual stars or not, but that's what we call them, a planetary. I mean, there's quite a few in the area. There was one in uh, Little White House Canyon. There was one also in uh, Free Turkey Canyon that we found. Yes. Very, very hard to find because it was right in the middle of it where it was the hardest part to access. But we went there once, right? Right, we did. And so we look for rock art panels, planetariums. We look for ruins also. Yes, we no. found some very old hogans, but we also found some Anasazi burial uh, right. cysts. Yeah. You yeah. know, with. Yeah. Um, yeah, we found a lot of things that nobody sees. Basically. I remember yeah. one yeah. time we went into, I can't remember what canyon it was, and we found a yucca sandal and uh, a braid of hair. A braid of hair that was really long. And we even found some of the pigment that they used to create the rock art on the walls. We found some of the actual pigment that they some used. Some yellow pigment? Yeah, some, some like, red, I think. Yeah, it was yeah. like a yellow okra, mm -hmm. and then a broken, was it an owl? A broken, some yeah, bone, bone tools. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, Lots of pottery, arrowheads. Uh, I even found a stone hammer once. Yeah. yeah, and a lot of those, when the archaeologists came to Canyon de Chez and... Uh, they found artifacts like that. A lot of it was moved to the University of Arizona in Tucson. Yeah, I mean, we left them there, and the locals knew, whoever knew that was there would leave them there, but eventually one of the archaeologists came and took it away. I yeah. think so. And it's probably they, for the best. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, we found a lot of things that, you know, are hardly ever seen. Right. You know? And when you go through these canyons, it's amazing how much there is. People think that there is a rock art panel along the road because there's a sign that says newspaper rock or whatever the name of the panel might be. But the fact is that in any of these canyons, there is rock art literally all along. Yes, there is. But some of the panels are less impressive than others, you know. But sometimes you find one figure somewhere in an isolated area all by itself, not very large, that's extremely well done. Yes. I remember in Free Turkey Canyon, we found a panel of turkeys once that was extremely detailed. Oh, they were beautiful, you know. yes. Small, um, not very impressive, but very, very detailed. Yes. You know. And I also remember that when we first moved to uh, Chinle that we joined um, the Utah Rock Art Association. So sometimes mm -hmm. we'd meet with them like once a month right. or something, we would do an outing, a rock art. And it was usually fairly close to us or bluff, like Montezuma's Creek. Montezuma Creek. Yeah. Montezuma Creek. Yeah. And we would camp there all weekend with right. them, and that was a lot of fun. But being with them and learning about rock art and studying rock art, when we went back to Three Turkey Canyon, I remember when we saw archaic rock art. And I was really surprised because I didn't realize that we saw some rock art from um, other periods. Mm. Well, we started being able to but differentiate between the different periods of rock art, you know, from the archaic to the basket maker to the Pueblo 1, Pueblo 2, Pueblo 3. And the right? barrier style. And the barrier style, which is also a very old style, you know, the Glen Canyon style also, you know, all of that. We were very knowledgeable about rock art. And so we knew that even though you can't date it precisely, archaic is 5,000 years and older. But um, when I saw some of that archaic rock art at the top of Three Turkey Canyon, I was so surprised. I was like, my goodness, you yeah. know, there's... It's been at it for a long time. Yeah, <laughs> this stuff yeah. has been here for yeah. a long time. And, and the archaic was at the very, very top. It was. Yeah. And it's yeah. still there. Just yeah. as you walk in, basically, it was marking the entrance. Yes. Because the thing that was interesting with Free Turkey Canyon is that on the one hand, there was a park, an old Navajo 
parks, you know, Navarro like Tribal a tribal park, park. Yeah, just like yeah. Monument Valley, exactly. But now forgotten, it's still on the AAA map. If you get a very old AAA map, AAA, you know, American Automobile Association. If you get one of the old Navajo reservation map, you can see Free Turkey Canyon Tribal Park on it. Right. But the Tribal Park is on the east side of the canyon. And there's no it way is. down from there. That's correct. It's sheer down. I mean, you have to repair and, you know, Oh, it's very deep, too. Yeah, yeah it's 800 feet You can deep. see the rune from across right. the canyon. And that's why the tribal park is on that side, because you have a clear view of the Free Turkey ruin. It's called Free Turkey because there is a painting of three turkeys on the back wall of that ruin. Mm-hmm. And it's very large. They are painted red and white, so they are very visible from a distance. But uh, the way to go down is from the west side of the canyon. Right. So across from the tribal park, and even though the two are maybe, I don't know, half a mile away from each other, it's a two-hour drive, you know, to go from one side to the other, especially because the roads are so bad. Oh, the roads are really bad. The road to the tribal park was so bad that there was a rut that had to be three or four feet deep in the middle of the road. And I was fortunate that I could put my wheels on each side of the rut and... uh, somehow make it there. Right? Right, right. We didn't have a very good car back then, but we made it there. But uh, the way to go down was on the other side, the west side, and at the top of the trail was where that archaic uh, rock art was located. Right. We've noticed uh, when we hiked uh, also in southern Utah, on Cedar Mesa, for example, that very often the rock art would mark the top of a trail or the bottom of a trail. Yes. You know, that yes. on Cedar Mesa, there is quite a few instances where rock art marks the bottom of the trail or the top of the trail. You know, the birth scene panel, for example, marks a trail at the top of Cedar Mesa near Muley Point, but at the bottom of that trail, if you can call it a trail, it's really an access route. It's extremely, extremely steep. I've never done it myself, actually. It would require some ropes or some logs to climb up. At the bottom, there's also another very nice rock art panel. Right. And so these panels were sort of indicators in one way or another, I'm not sure what they're saying, of... uh, Basically, the trail. Here's a trail, you know, and maybe saying something about how oh, hard it was or who came here or whatever. Well, you know. in Canyon de Chez and also on the Del Murto side, those are sheep herder trails, right. some of those, you yeah. know, so the sheep herder goes up and down the trails. Mm-hmm. Sometimes also on a boulder nearby, you'll have the names of the family right. that use that trail yeah. or yeah. that have used that trail. The name of the family yeah. or how many sheep they had or how many cows they had. Mm-hmm. Or we've also found some uh, gambling signs. Deck of cards. Oh, yeah. Navajo rock art. <laughs> yeah. Because in Navajo culture, the gambler is a negative figure. The gambler is somebody who takes all he's got and loses it all, gambling it away, basically. And so it's a negative figure. It's not seen as a good thing. So to see a deck of cards carved on a rock at the bottom of a canyon means that that person wasn't necessarily going the right way, you know. <laughs> Maybe they were involved in gambling and that was their way of uh, expressing their views by carving it on a rock. Right. You know? We've also found uh, a carving of a, a revolver in the same location and then names of Navajo people, you know. Yeah. And those are old. Those are at least maybe 100 years old, maybe 80 years old. Right. You know? And then out towards many farms, past many farms, do you remember the missions that right. we found yeah. that were carved into the stone, the, the old missions? The missions, which was basically at the time of the Spaniards, but also more recently we found carvings of basketballs and things that kids had carved. Oh, yeah. You know? yeah. And of course they are doodles, but they also represent a particular interest in sports. And So it's not dead. They are not really graffiti, you know. Right. Because if you look at the Hopis, the Hopis still mark their trails with rock art signs. 
very sites uh, on the Hopi Reservation that marked the pilgrimage to the Grand Canyon because for the Hopis, the Grand Canyon is a sacred place, for the Navajos as well. But the Hopis, they go essentially down into the Little Colorado River. There is a hot spring there that has the shape of a hogan, and, uh, which is sacred to uh, the Navajos and the Hopis, and they go there to pick up salt. It's the salt trail. Right. And uh, that's why it's called the salt trail because it goes down to the salt mines. And uh, they mark the trail with rock art symbols to this day. They all mark their clan symbols, you know, the corn clan, the parrot clan, all of that. Right. And you find these all along the trail. Well, I remember when we moved to Chinle, some of the teachers would ask me, you know, the teachers, the veterans that had been there for many, many years, they would ask me, well, what do you and Ellen do on the weekends? And I would say, oh, well, we hike, you know, and I would tell them some areas that we went to and tell them that we photograph and stuff. And then uh, I think it was uh, Mr. Barlow who told me that, you know, when you go out in the middle of nowhere, if you come upon a Hogan or somebody's camp, because that's what the Navajos live in, our camps, to make sure that you skirt Mm -hmm. the property, that you don't walk right by the Hogan, make sure you have plenty of room just to be respectful because they consider so much of their surroundings their land and so you don't want to walk too close to their land i think it was either him or pat montague that said you know as long as you keep a distance and you're respectful and stuff usually you won't have a problem people won't have a problem with you being out there and if they ask you what you're doing just tell them what yeah, just doing. be straightforward. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The sense of privacy that the Navajos have is different from ours. It's not ten feet around the house. It's not uh, right next to the house. It's maybe sometimes a quarter of a mile away from the house, right. or a half mile away from the house. And so you want to make sure that you skirt very widely, uh, even farther than that. Depends how isolated it is. The more isolated they are, the farther away you better be. You know. You know. Right. And it's not like they are going to shoot you or whatever. It's just that you don't want to intrude because their sense of privacy is that far away from their house. Right, exactly. And I remember one time we were hiking, we were photographing. We wanted to hike up to some runes. And I remember we stopped and had a snack or something. And this gentleman came riding, galloping, full blast at us, you know, like yelling. We had no idea what he was saying, and it was a, a very old Navajo man who spoke absolutely no English, and we are out in the middle of nowhere, you know, and I remember you showing, pointing to your camera and, you know, pointing to the rune that we wanted to hike up to and photograph, and he understood it. He probably thought we were nuts, <laughs> crazy. Right. Well, and I carried <laughs> but, my tripod in a bag that I had slung over my shoulder. And I think to somebody who had no clue about photography, it was more like a rifle in a scabbard than a tripod in a tripod bag. And his cow had just had a calf, and he was concerned about the mother and and the little one and make sure that we're not out there, you know, either trying to steal the cattle or... His concern was that we were going to steal his cattle. Yeah, you know? yeah. And when he realized that, you know, we were crazy white people who wanted to photograph a Navajo or an Anasazi ruin, we were cool. Right. Because only a nutcase would want to do that in his book. Because right. Because for the Navajos, these uh, Anasazi ruins bring bad luck because they are inhabited by spirits. And those are the enemy ancestors. You know, the word Anasazi is to the Navajo a word that means enemy ancestors probably those that were here before and that 
somehow we are enemies of the Navajo. And now that they are gone or that they are dead, they don't ever go to their places. Right. They leave them alone. And if they go, if somehow a Navajo goes into an, an Anasazi ruin, they have to have a ceremony to cleanse them from the evil spirit. Right. And it's called the enemy way, right. which is uh, the ceremony to cleanse the Navajos from the enemy ancestors' spirits. And of course, white people don't have that problem. Because I've asked Navajos, they say, well, what about us? If we go in there, what's going to happen to us? They say, well, it doesn't affect white people. And it doesn't affect us for the simple reason that we don't believe in it. Right. You know, it's right. always the same thing. There's nothing to it that's real. It's all in your head. If you believe in it, it's going to affect you. If you don't believe in it, then it's not going to affect you. Right. And we're not talking about believing halfway. We're talking about believing without the shadow of a doubt, <laughs> you know, which is hard for us to sort of comprehend. But that's what we think. And so for a Navajo to be told by an Anglo, I'm going to go in this ruin over there and take photos is pure insanity. They would never go. And if you go, you know what, you're on your own. It's your problem, buddy. And they don't care. So having told him that that's what we wanted to do, we were cool in his eyes. He had no more concern for us. He just went his merry way. And as a matter of fact, after we were done photographing, we went back. It was after sunset. It was after sunset. And he had a corral. He did. And he could not get the calf into the corral. Or the, Our, the, or the cow into the corral. Or he could not carry those bales of hay. There was, I think the bale of hay he was, was just having, so heavy, he couldn't do it himself. He was having a hard time carrying the bales of hay into the corral, and I helped him. You did. You know, and, yeah. uh, we stayed yeah. and we helped we him. We actually talked about buying bales of hay. That the and, next time we went out there, and bringing them to just him as a gift. As a gift, but we, we never did it, and I wasn't even sure where he lived anyway. No, he just had the little corral there, but I don't remember seeing his home. But, you know, I mean, we make a big deal out of hiking out there on the race because we think, what if I meet a Navajo, you know, they're going to scalp me, they're going to lynch me, they're going to kill me. But the bottom line is, you know, they're just going about their business. And if you explain what you do in a logical, honest fashion, they are more than understanding and they'll leave you to do whatever you do as long as you're not doing anything wrong, you know. Right. By their book, which is stealing their cattle, you know. You know, I remember I asked him what he was doing and he kept saying coffee, coffee. And I, I thought, coffee, what does he mean? You know, there's no coffee here. And it was his accent, he meant cattle, you know. <laughs> and I could not understand what he was saying. Right, right. <laughs> I, I guess the pronunciation of cattle in his... In well, his, we were out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, he spoke know? no English, yeah. Yeah, but it wasn't the only time we've had others. I yeah. remember one time when we hiked, uh, looking for a specific location that we could not find. And we s- were in the middle of nowhere. We were driving down a two-track road in the middle of, of nowhere. And uh, I see this Navajo walking along the road. So I parked my truck and I walked towards him. And when I started walking towards him, this guy ran the other way. Right. <laughs> he started, He's not, avoiding you. Yeah, he, did not really run. He started walking faster, but away from me. So I literally, I ran after him and eventually I caught up with him and I said, you know, I'm looking for this place. He looked at me and says, I'm not from here. Right. I have no idea, but I'm looking for these people, you know. Do you know where they they live? (laughs) And I'm like, no, I'm not from here either. You know, (laughs) it was really funny because neither of us were from there. Neither of us knew where what we were looking for was. And, you know, it did not matter that one was Navajo and the other was French, I guess. You know? Right. <laughs> one had a car and one was walking. And we you're like, where, where, where did he walk from? We were both lost and confused. Yeah. <laughs> and eventually we found what we were looking for. 
But then, you know, after we lived on the reservation for a number of years, and once the Navajos would see the images that you were selling at the arts and crafts sales, it got to the point where if they saw us in the landscape, they would honk and wave, you know, and they would say, oh, I saw the photographer, that you were known as the photographer. Oh, I saw the photographer today. And We had been washed. Yes, <laughs> in, yes. In, in, and then you way. had requests, you know, can you come my, out and photograph yeah. my, my, you know, rock. my rock? Or, yeah. Yeah. Every Navajo has a rock behind his or her house, which is not difficult right. because there's rocks everywhere. And every one of them wanted a photo of their rock. But the problem is, for $5, I can't afford to drive 50 miles to photograph a rock. You know? Right, <laughs> And right. $5 was what we wanted to spend for the most part. We have a problem, because I did try it a couple of times, is if you photograph the rock from a different angle than the one that we had in mind, it did not work. Yeah. Because there was yeah. one rock that I photographed called round, round, rock. round Rock. And some lady said, I live near Round Rock. Do you have a photo of Round Rock? Well, I so happened to have one. Right. So I showed it to her. She's like, oh, no, no, no. I'm on that side. I don't see it from there. Okay. I don't see this view. Yeah, I don't see this view. From where I see it, I don't see this. You know, there was an arch. You know, I don't see the arch. I see the backside and there is this and that and that thing and this thing. And I'm like, you know, I can't photograph this rock from every angle possible. Right. I mean, you know, this other Navajo that lives another two miles down the road is going to see it from a different angle, right? Well, take your own photo, you know. I mean, this is not a good way to run a business. You no. Know? <laughs> you know, I take a photo and that's the one you buy. I can't take the same photo over and over again from 20 different angles just to satisfy each of them. Right. Because eventually there's only one customer per photo. Right. right. You know? uh, so and then you know. I remember towards the end there, they would ask you, what's a Christmas card? The ladies at the bank would ask you, well, what's a Christmas card going to be this year? You because know? every year I would uh, make a new Christmas card that I would sell in Chinle. And I made them myself. I printed them myself. I bagged them, folded them, all of that on my own. So they were not expensive. They were basically the same price that I sold at the hotel, you know. And we sold them for $5 a pack, I think. Yeah, and there were five yeah. cards. And, five cards, you know, yeah. some of my students bought those packs mm-hmm. for you. Yeah. For the five cards and that was the christmas gift right, to one family right. member that pack of cards was five gifts right. and the gift that they were giving their family was spider rock snowstorm mm-hmm. that was their right. christmas gift yeah and every yeah. year i had a different photo mm-hmm. that i used on the christmas card and usually was a photo with snow and i always said you know merry christmas underneath and we picked five dollars because everybody had a five dollar bill in their pocket. Yeah, you know, and that was something they could afford. Or two yeah. magnets for five dollars. Right, we right, did little magnets right. at one time. And even then, that was expensive for them. Yeah. You know? And we had to keep the price down because otherwise we would have been irrelevant. We would not have bought anything if we could not afford it. You know? Right. So there was a tie between the hiking and the business. Obviously, we hiked and photographed constantly when we hiked put together a very nice collection of I photographs. always packed a lunch. Yeah, you always know, packed we a always... lunch, something to drink. We were gone all day. We were. Yeah. I remember hiking out of places after the sun had been down for at least 45 minutes and we're still right. hiking in the dark. Well, now. I remember one canyon where we hiked and we went all the way to the, to the end of it, basically. That was a sort of dead end. And uh, we had sort of miscalculated how far we hiked. Yeah. And we turned around and we had to hike in the dark. <laughs> we did. And the problem was, because, you know, obviously this is a very remote area with no markers of any sort and we had not been that far before. The problem was, how do we know that we got to the truck? Right. Because there's not even a road, right? So we parked on the side in the bushes. Let's not walk past the truck, right? And I remembered that there was a fence. 
right? Right. And that we had parked on the other side of the fence. And so I said, well, you know, when we hit the fence, and obviously we can't quite go through the fence without climbing over it or underneath it, we all know that that's when we need to start looking for the truck, right? And that was our saving grace. If it wasn't for that fence, I don't know what we would have done. Because right. we could have missed the trail. There was no moon. We had no flashlight. Right. What do you do, right? right. I mean, you know, and walking in the bushes is impossible because it's very hard. So you've got to walk into the wash. And it was easier to walk into the wash, it too. It was much easier. You know. And then the chances of missing the truck are gigantic, you know. If there had been a moon, it's a different matter. Yeah. But no moon, God. Yeah. I mean, in a canyon with no moon, you're in complete darkness. Mm-hmm. And we started, it wasn't too bad. But by the time we got to the truck, it was like pitch black. <laughs> it was. And we were lucky that that fence was there because we were not right behind the fence. But I knew that once we passed the fence, we had to look for the truck very hard. And we found the truck and we could barely see it. It was a brown truck in a dark canyon. I mean, you know, <laughs> right? right? You yeah. Know. So there are some challenges. I mean, not that we would have died, but we would have spent a night out there that would have been less than comfortable. And plus, we wanted to go home and call <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it a day, you know. Right. right. Yeah. We had a lot of adventures. I mean, that's for sure. Some canyons, some locations that we are looking for, some, some rock art sites. We went there multiple times before we found them. Right. And we then would go there. We had directions. And we would get close, but did not find it. And so I would uh, write back or email to the people that gave me the direction. And I would explain, okay, we found this. We went that far, but we didn't find it. What did we do wrong? And they'd tell me, I'd say, oh, well, you, you should have made a right there. Or right. You should have gone a little farther. And you should have, did you see this? Did you go past this? You know. And eventually you would find it. But some places, it took us four or five trips, you know, before we found it. Yeah, I did. Know? And then sometimes we found other things that we did not even know were there. I mean, I'm sure we found some rock outside. Some people told me that uh, nobody knew about. I mean, I'm sure the Navajos knew about it, but Anglo people didn't. We found this site with seven figures, you know, mm-hmm. up high on a painted on, on a cave. Right. You know, very, very detailed uh, painted pictographs, which means painted uh, drawings. Yeah. I remember the blue figure. The blue anthropomorphs. The yeah. blue anthropomorphs. Yeah. Um, I mean, a lot of painted figures on the reservation. That's what was really interesting. Yeah. Uh, a lot of carved figures, you know, petroglyphs, images carved on rocks, but also a lot of pictographs, which are images painted on rocks. And with very interesting colors, you know, not just the red and black and white that we see a lot of times, but also green and yellow and blue. And right. Orange, you know, very vivid colors. The green and the blue and the yellow, those are uncommon colors, yes. especially blue. Blue is very uncommon. Because it demands that there is a local supply of that color. And that's not frequent. So this is uh, sort of an insight on what we did during the weekend in Chile. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And people would come to see us in order to hike. They would tell us, you have a great backyard. Yeah. They called (laughs) it the backyard, you know, meaning uh, whatever was uh, within uh, a short distance. Oh, we'd find arches and... Archers all all and different of things to and, and the thing is that we had no idea it was there because there's no guidebook. No. So it's not like we were going, we were saying, okay, let's go and see that. We would go and say, let's go and hike this canyon. And then we would find whatever we would find. Right. And sometimes when we would visit JR, I think in Bluff, you know, we would talk about where we had been hiking right. and, yeah. you know, and exchange information or. Right. 
But who, it's always difficult because it's so vast. Yes, and there is so many huge. roads. You know, yeah. you, you look on the map and it looks like there's one road that goes from point A to point B where you want to get. But when you get there, there is 50 different dirt roads. And you're like, which one, right? Right. <laughs> and, right. and there's no reason to take this one versus that one. So eventually you've got to try a bunch of them, you know. And eventually over time you start to find out which one goes somewhere and which one doesn't. You know, <laughs> right. One goes to a Hogan, one goes to a spring, another one goes to a windmill, one goes to nowhere, and then eventually one goes where you want to go. Right. But how right. do you figure out which one? Well, you got to keep trying, you know. Yeah. So it's trial and error, and you have to have lots of gas and keep driving and testing all these roads. Once you find out, it's very clear. Right. You know? Well, yeah. we did that for the first maybe three years, but once you started doing the Grand Canyon and doing that show once a month, we didn't have time to hike right. like that no, anymore. We, it was we were too busy. We couldn't do it, but we still did it during the winter. Yeah, I remember during the winter. A, a yeah. good time to hike was actually during the holidays because uh, nobody was. Oh, there, I loved you know. it during yeah. Christmas and yeah. Thanksgiving because everybody was gone. So Every, we had it all to ourselves. Yeah. yeah, and actually, some of those days, places that we thought were more sensitive places to hike, we would literally go there Christmas Day. Because we knew nobody would be there. On Christmas Day, everybody's inside celebrating, so we are not yeah, out there yeah. trying to keep the hikers out. Yeah, that was fun. Technique, and, uh, yeah. yeah, and then in the winter, I mean, it gets cold in Chinle in the winter, but during the afternoons, it warms up and it's very pleasant. You know, if you have long sleeves on and maybe but a t-shirt, it's very pleasant. And, but still, I remember hiking a particular canyon called Sheep Canyon that literally was frozen. There was water at the bottom. It had frozen from one side to the other. Right. It was an ice rink. Well, it was in the shade, too. It was in the shade. Yeah. But even if it had been in the sun, it would not have melted in a day. And no. the water literally ran from one wall of the canyon to the other wall of the canyon. There was a solid sheet of ice clear across that canyon. Yeah, you're right. It was not a very wide canyon. I'd say no more than 20 feet. In the sun, you're warm, but in the shade, you're cold. Yeah, but I mean, hiking <laughs> yeah. on a sheet of ice, that's not easy. Especially no. if you have no crampon, which we didn't. I mean, of course You know, not. we were not prepared for hiking <laughs> a glacier, you know. No. Right? We are here in a canyon country. I mean, we understand there is some ice, but usually it's a pool. You know, a right. little bit of ice in one area, and you skirt around, and you're done. Here, there was solid ice straight across, mm-hmm. and we did it. We actually walked through that, and then after that, it sort of uh, changed, right? But some of these hikes are very, very tough, you know. Yeah, they and are. And I remember on that particular day, we couldn't go very far because past that sheet of ice, there was enormous boulders. Right. And then past these boulders, there was dry falls up and down. Eventually, we went as far as we could and we turned around and left because in the winter, you don't have that much time to hike. No. You, know, you start around 9 and then at 4.30, it's dark. Right. And so you have to walk around, let's say, 2 p.m. and then you've got to turn around. And hope you can make it back in two and a half hours. Otherwise, you're or back three, to hiking. Three in the, at the yeah, latest. Three at the yeah. latest, yeah. Otherwise, you're back to hiking in the dark. Right. <laughs> and who wants to hike in the dark across a glacier, you know? <laughs> it's bad enough to hike in the dark in a dry wash with no moon, but on a glacier, you know. The challenge is always remembering the exit point. Right. When you go in, right. it's very simple. You go in where you park and you go straight into the canyon. But on the way out, how do you do it, right? Right. So we would draw a line in the sand trying to put a marker that says I started there, but in the dark, it's so easy to miss that. Yes. And we could not really use rocks because you don't always find rocks. And of course, you always hope that somebody did not, some kid did not come along and erase the line, you know. 
Because then you're really screwed. You know? Or, you know, yeah. sometimes you're lucky and you can find like a tire painted white or painted blue or something. <laughs> yeah, but at <laughs> the bottom of the canyon, you don't find that. No. You find that at the top, you know. So you have to find a marker. It's, it's not easy, you know. And you don't want to leave something of your belongings you. <laughs> behind because there's always a chance that somebody's going to come there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the reservation is interesting because you see nobody. Right. You think you're alone. And then all of a sudden, somebody comes out of nowhere. You know? I know. <laughs> yes. You know? I mean, remember yeah. one time we hiked down Free Turkey Canyon, and we kept hearing these bells, you know? And I told you, I said, it's either sheep or goats, you know? Yeah, with the bell around their, co- their neck. goats, yeah. you know, they used to carry bells because the goats tend to run around everywhere, and you can't find them, so you put a bell around their neck to tell you where they are. They tend to go and wander. You know, sheep don't do that as much. And eventually, we caught up with it and it was a Navajo grandmother who was herding her herd you know sheep and goats I think we scared her and yeah when she saw us she started accelerating walking faster and so I said let's back off let's go slower let her go ahead let her go ahead because I don't want to spook her and then something very weird happened where she lit a fire yes in the middle of the canyon in the middle of nowhere I mean this is the middle of a very remote canyon and she lit a fire. Yeah. And to this day, we're still not very clear why she lit a fire because she lit it and then moved away. So it wasn't for her, right? Right. And somebody suggested that she may have thought we were lost. Right. And that we would need a fire to survive the night. For the night. Yeah. Yeah. Because it wasn't very far from sunset when she lit that fire. No, we wanted to go a little farther because I thought we were almost where we had. We had hiked from the mouth up to a point, which was the planetarium. And I thought we That's were right. literally within maybe a half mile of that planetarium and I thought if we can just get there then we will have done the whole canyon right I remember that and so I wanted to push forward and indeed we pushed forward we got to the planetarium and we knew we had done the whole canyon that's when we actually finished uh, that hike you know that took us months you know to finish it but it has always puzzled us as to why she lit that fire right because it wasn't for her because she lit it and then moved away there was right. huge piles of dead wood in the middle of the canyon and there she was. just lit one of them on fire and it was a big fire and then moved away. And somebody said later on, after I talked to them about it, that maybe she thought we would need the fire to live through the night, that it was going to be cold, it was going to be dark, and we were obviously lost, you know. Right. And that sort of makes sense because two Anglos in the middle of a very remote area of the reservation, down at the bottom of a canyon, almost at sunset, in her mind, we were not going to live through the night. Especially yeah. since the way we had come to it, I don't know if you remember, that was the part of Free Turkey Canyon that has the narrow, you know, the slot. Right. We had walked through that slot, which had water, mud, very narrow, big rocks. We had to climb up and down. And we had to go back that same way. Right. And that woman knew that that slot was there. She may never even venture in it herself. And so there was very good reasons why she may have thought we were just lost, you know. (laughs) Not just nuts. I believe that all Navajos think that white people are nuts. But I think that she may have thought that we were nuts and lost. And right. that if she did not help us, we were going to die. <laughs> <Right. you know? laughs> we would freeze to death. Because we have a logical explanation that I thought of is she was trying to scare us with the fire. But, no, I don't you know, think she's so. not going to burn the canyon. To, you know no. what I'm saying? Yeah. No. So I, I think she may have thought we needed some help. You know, it's so easy to misinterpret or to not understand. You know? Because we think in a very different way than they think. I mean, obviously, she was going back home that evening she was so there had to be a sheep trail up out of the canyon that she knew and that we of course would day, not know <laughs> yeah we still don't know yeah right we knew some of the sheep trails and some of them are very hard to see right you know 
because there were several of them in and out of uh, Little White House Canyon that we knew. And man, if you did not know, you would never find it. Right. You park by the juniper, you hike down the wash, and then when you get to the fork in the wash, you go to the right, and then you follow the rim, and then you'll see, you go down. Right. Oh, okay, and what do you follow? You, you know, you follow the droppings of the sheep, basically, right? right. There's not even a rock or a marker or anything. This You look at the rock, and there's little scratches. Those are the, the hooves of the sheep. And you're like, okay, that must be the way, right? Right, <laughs> right. And, you know, sheep can go down, and goats can go down a sheer cliff, literally, uh, where you have to slide on your butt, you know? Right. So, you know, you, you really have to know that that's the trail and you have to believe that's the trail because once you slide down that thing, there better be another way down, otherwise you'll be stuck, you know? Right. And so it's impossible to really know for sure. <clears throat> and these grandmothers, even though they're maybe 80, 90 years old, they can hike up and down this canyon. Oh, yeah, they can. You know? And they do it every day. I mean, you look at them and you're like, you're almost dead and they can do things that you can't do and you're 40 years younger than they are. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You remember the one that could go up and down uh, Canyon de Chez on the White House Trail? Oh, we were timing her. We were literally timing her. <laughs> she was beating the tourists. She was beating the tourists coming out. <laughs> she would hike faster than the tourists. Yeah. You know, people that run marathons were like, <laughs> you know, panting, almost dying on the way up. And she was like, bum, bum, bum. I know, <laughs> I know. But, but that's you know, why they live so long. Yeah, and go know. at a little pace. Oh, yeah, she just same, takes her time. You know, always stop in the same place. Yes, uh, she takes a little break yeah. in a, at a certain certain time in a certain place that's when you realize that it's another world it's not just a different place in america it's another world because there's a gap and that gap is not just something that you imagine it's real right they're different they don't live the same life Mm -hmm. they don't have the same abilities physically you know so this is uh, an insight on like i said what we did during uh, the weekends in chinle and uh, we're gonna end it on this note for today. If you're interested in learning more about Navajoland, we offer a workshop called the Navajoland Workshop every year in the spring, where we take you to many of these places. And we also offer another workshop called the Little Known Navajoland Workshop, where we go to little known places on the reservation. And the second workshop, the Little Known One, is not advertised on our site. It's only for invitation only. And so if you're interested, just email us, just go to our site, and uh, look at the workshop section and uh, look at the Navajoland workshop and email us if you want more information. And the website is beautiful-landscape.com or alanbrio, A-L-A-I-N-B-R-I-O-T.com. And we look forward to hearing from you.